This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. (laughs) Nurture your relationship like a garden. Have the courage to explore and share your unconscious beliefs. Get help and have realistic expectations that love ebbs and flows over time. For long-term happiness, we need to identify the unconscious relationship patterns and expectations each person brings to the partnership and consciously decide what kind of partnership both want. Carrying around unresolved resentment is harmful to the immune system as well as to the couple bond. For growth to develop, we need a partner who is willing to explore the deeper, subconscious influences on our interactions. Like becoming aware that the biggest part of an iceberg under the surface directs its movement. Staying on the surface is like driving blindfolded. Valeria Telles interviews Gail Kimball, the author of Happy Marriages, 30 Global Couples Tell Their Stories. Gail Kimball, Ph.D., is an intuitive coach who teaches clairvoyance and healing webinars and is the author of over 20 books. They include Calm Parents and Children, Essential Energy Tools, How to Develop Your Clairvoyant and Healing Abilities, illustrated with videos and CDs, Mysteries of Reality, Dialogues with Visionary Scientists, Mysteries of Healing, Mysteries of Knowledge Beyond the Sense, Everything You Need to Know to Succeed After College, and Quick Healthy Recipes. A college professor most of her life, she's also a ballroom dancer. She invites you to check out her YouTube channel. Meet Gail at gailkimball.info. Here is the interview with Gail Kimball. In your own words, who is Gail Kimball? I am a curious person who likes to learn, and that leads me to write, um, I don't know, 25 books now. And I'm a person who likes to dance, ballroom dance and garden. I enjoy my grandson, especially he's just turned 11. So that's a little bit of an overview. Curiosity. It's interesting that you mentioned that because that's one of the components that I notice in life in general really, really helps us to move through challenges and to see from this open space and be able to balance in a way, create the sense of harmony in life. How would you describe what curiosity is? What is to be a curious person? 
a person who is always learning and wants to learn, is open to new concepts. And um, like I, I recently did a book about where I interviewed visionary scientists for a, a trilogy about mysteries of reality, healing, knowledge beyond our senses. And what I learned from that is that they were really curious and that we tend to be very arrogant because, in fact, humans know very little. We don't know about 95% of the universe that's dark energy and dark matter. We don't really know about that. We don't know about what junk, they call it, DNA does. So um, I think it involves being humble. Yes, I do see this that we call life as the unknown. The unknown. We claim to know so much, but that is, um, it might be coming from that place of curiosity and even trying to create or creativity. But essentially, we don't know what this is. I agree. But on the other hand, I think it's very simple that quantum mechanics, quantum physics tells us that we are all one. And I think that oneness could be described as divinity or love or intelligence or God or Buddha nature or whatever you want to call it. So I think on the other hand, there is a very simplistic view that we are one and we are part of a higher source. And as you speak about that, which resonates very much, it really it's not a knowledge. For this to be realized and manifested, this sense, this feeling that we are one, it got to come from a different place. It's a realization. It's not really a logical, intellectual knowledge, but it's something beyond that, uh, Gail, that comes to me every time. It's when I feel that I am connected to it all, and it's the most amazing kind of experience to be in a human body, it has nothing to do with logic, with thinking and knowing or knowledge. What, what the visionary scientists realize is the brain is a filter, a transmitter, a receiver for the higher mind. So we're, what we know is in some ways passive. We receive um, information from the mind with a capital M. And our brain itself is, is just a little watery, salty tissue that is like a receiver. Another question, open question I have for you is about love. What is your idea of love, Gail? You know, I like Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Loving. And he, he says that love is a verb. It's about doing. And it involves deep caring. So I like that emphasis on being proactive in your love and being kind and compassionate and giving and expressing gratitude and appreciation and praise. I love the idea, using that word again, unconditional love. I think we spoke about it um, in our last conversation here. This is what life also is, unconditional love, everything, unbounded energy, free energy, just doing what it does. And it goes back to that idea of unconditional love. And then when it comes to love, in a sense of um, connecting with other human beings, relating to them, that seems to me so limited. For me, it has become limited as of now. I always 
kind of step back when I'm, I'm facing challenges in my relationships and kind of see the big picture of this grand dance of free energy doing what it does and just being whatever it is. <laughs> and that helps that separated sense of self that's it's here or, or I am identified with. It kind of it helps very much to kind of free more of that so I can merge back with whatever is happening. And you know, but it's interesting that, that spirits really are eager to incarnate in Earth, our bodies here, because it is dense and problematic and challenging. And so it gives us the opportunity to really grow and learn. So um, I think it's important to be aware of the higher self, but also to realize all the lessons we have from bumping my little irregularities against someone else's little irregularities so that we smooth them out and grow together. So that, that's the beauty, really. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. And I wonder how, if this is a belief system, when you talk about spirits reincarnating and going through challenges, experiences here, I hear that a lot, though. So is that something that you have actually have insights beyond experience, if that's possible, or it has become a belief system for you that this is possible? I think that ancient understandings of Hinduism and Buddhism about karma and reincarnation explain a lot. And for me, it explains why we're here, to grow, to evolve, to help others, to enjoy the creation. Um, so, yeah, there's very developed systems of thought that explain the process. I have not really, I have tried for many, so many years being a seeker, a uh, spiritual seeker, trying to kind of everything, I would take everything in, you know, a very, very uh, eager to learn person about everything, especially spirituality. But I could never really experience anything that gave me the sense, so that strong sense of belief that this really happens, that this is something that it is happening, that we are reincarnated, we have lived many lives and we are here to learn lessons. It sounds like a very lovely story, very lovely idea, concept. And I have tried to experience that. The University of Virginia has done studies, this, uh, pediatricians, the physicians there of children who remember their past lives, and they're very specific. So something is going on. There, there really is evidence. But, you know, it's not belief doesn't matter to me so much as your behavior. So if you're kind and try to do good, that that counts more than what you say you believe. Actions speak louder than words. Another open question before we talk about your book is, yeah, that relates to your book. What is another word for marriage, Gail? Commitment, partnership. Uh, bonding and attachment, making a family together. So you wrote the book, Happy Marriages, 30 Global Couples Tell Their Stories. Talk to me about the main intention and purpose of writing this book. I, I wrote two books called 50-50 Marriage and 50-50 Parenting in the 80s, where I was interested in how to have an egalitarian marriage, an equal one. And if people are thinking, well, how do you know if it's equal? To me, it's who has the most leisure time. 
And so I was interested in how do you do that if they're both working, if they have children, how do they have how do they really roll share? So that was in the 80s, and now here we are in 2020, 2021. And I wanted to see uh, if I could find some of those couples and see how they'd done through the decades. I only found a couple, but I interviewed 30 in different family types, including trans and gay, lesbian and cross-cultural and from different countries, because I wanted to see how couples stay interested in each other after 50 years. In your book, you write, uh, there's so many things that caught my attention. You say, conflicts are inevitable between two imperfect beings. It is important to learn the skills of how to fight fair. And then you say something else. You said, conflict resolution includes asking for a specific solution, listening, and making eye contact. But not just that, but there are so many other suggestions. So talk to me for a moment about some of the suggestions you have that you have actually experimented with and worked. Because there are so many in the book. But um, yeah, talk to me about that, because that has been... Kind of a challenge for me. I'm very good at seeing the big pictures. It kind of helps a lot and being kind and all that. But it's still, I'm still fine trying to find some other powerful, effective strategies for conflict solving. Nonviolent communication is an interesting um, way of communicating. And they really stress that you get to the need. What, what, what does your partner, what is their bottom line need in this conflict. And John Gottman has done really scientific research in his love lab in Washington, where he hooks couples up to um, all kinds of measurement devices and follows them over time to see who makes it and who, who doesn't. And what he found is that the couples who made it had five times more positive statements the negative ones, you know, as, as an average. And the worst was contempt. And then defensiveness, criticism, which women were more likely to do, stonewalling, which is avoidance, which men were more likely to do. So I would really emphasize that even in problem solving, that that we try to be kind and emphasize the, the positive. So people probably know about active listening. The, the main mistake people make in conflict is to blame. And they say, you always leave your dirty dishes in the sink. And then the person's reaction is going to be, well, you always leave your wet laundry in the bathroom sink. And then, it, and then that gets nowhere. So the secret of conflict resolution is, is I feel uh, disgusted <laughs> when I see this wet towel on the floor every morning. And I would really appreciate it if you would pick it up and hang it up and whatever. So it, it's easier said than done because sometimes it's easy to say, I feel you're a slob. But that's not an eye message. That's just disguised you message. Um, Warren Farrell and I, he's an author, do a, 
a conflict resolution on my YouTube channel where I have these interviews with all these couples and experts. Um, and he and I do a, we just made up a scenario where, where we're brother and sister. And so it goes through his technique for resolving conflict. But what he suggests is that you save criticisms, conflict for two hours a week. And he calls that sharing and caring time. So during sharing and caring, we go through his procedure where, and he has these meditations. So we're in a centered place. We're not defensive. And then we discuss our issues. So uh, if people want to see how that works, they can just look at the video on my YouTube for free. I love this idea, what you just said about coming from this centered place, a calm place before trying to solve anything. And it really feels, I mean, it seems to me that ending conflict out there has to do with ending conflict within. Does it make sense to you too, Gail? You know who I really like as a way of answering that question is voice dialogue. Hal and Sidra Stone are therapists who develop voice dialogue. They write about it online and they, they write books. And what they say is the most important thing that we can realize is that we have multiple personalities. So I'm in, when I'm interacting with you, I need to know, am I interacting right now with my inner child, my inner critic, my judge my kind of hedonist self who is up and then if we're aware of that then we can see as you say the big picture and not let those unconscious selves and their reactions and projections and hurts run the show so it can be very exciting when we become conscious of the unconscious and and really evolve that way another therapist, psychologist is Sue Johnson, who does emotionally focused therapy. And she says the key is we need to be aware of our attachment style. So maybe 40% of us are avoidant or insecure in our attachment style. And that can lead to a really common pattern between men and women, where the woman reaches out, honey, let's talk. And he goes, uh, no. And he retreats. And then she's angry because he's retreating. And she goes, honey, we really need to talk. <laughs> goes, yeah. No, I have to go watch the sports game or go jog or something. So Johnson's method is we, we have to understand our attachment style and then work with it and understand our bonding patterns like the distant father and the unattached daughter or whatever it is. So I becoming aware of the unconscious patterns, I think is, is really key because they run the show. It's kind of like the iceberg. What we see is only a tiny part. Most of the iceberg is under the water. So most of our unconscious is what drives our relationships. And the more conscious we are of those drives and wounds and fears and hopes, the, then we can really evolve. Do you still see clients? Oh, yes. I do personal coaching, yes. So they can meet you online, offline, groups. Do you offer different options, um, Gail? For, yeah, I do. Um, I like to do, actually, my favorite ways of doing counseling is um, 
on the phone because then I'm not influenced by how the person looks. So I'm really objective. And I also do a Zoom class about how to develop your clairvoyant and healing abilities and having that kind of sensitivity and awareness helps with relationships for sure. I love a passage in your book where you say, never doubt that your feelings are important and never accept having them treated as unimportant. Your feelings are the spark plugs of your life. Never let them get clogged up or disconnected. That's a beautiful message. That was from um, Jack Cammer. He's an interesting uh, men's rights person. He has a podcast and, and is very concerned about the ways that he feels men are disadvantaged in relationships. So he was offering, in my book, I quoted him where he's saying to men, you need to do the dreaded question, we need to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually yeah. it's 80% of the time it's the woman who says, we need to talk. But he says, no, do it. And he, it's kind of cute. He, he suggests that a really simple technique that helps is to hold hands. If you're having a, uh, a conflict resolution talk, he, he finds with he and his wife, it really helps if they hold hands when they have that discussion. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's interesting that I picked that up because that kind of resonates a lot with women when it comes to feeling. We, we tend to relate to that word a lot. Uh, never doubt your feelings, uh, listen to your intuition. That's very interesting how we all need to be in touch with that, right, Gail? All of us humans, not just women, but men too. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on a book about men's viewpoints where I'm interviewing men from different kinds of approaches to understanding men's roles. And I've been really surprised because a lot of them felt like they were disadvantaged in relationships because they weren't as verbal. They were trained to shut down their feelings, not be so much in touch with their feelings. And also John Gottman found clinically that men get more flooded. They get more upset when they're having an emotional discussion. It's harder. It's like more punitive for them to have this kind of disagreement. So I've, I've been interested to learn about and think about our different hormonal influences on our reactions between men and women. What is like to feel safe emotionally in a relationship? Could you describe that? I think that it's a matter of time that we learn to trust when we know we're going to have a conflict and you don't run away. Or if you need to run away, you say, I will be back after I run around the block. So I I think that safety comes from knowing I can trust that you have my back, that you will deal with what we need to deal with. And and that only comes from from our history together. So that safety comes from our experiences. Wow, we had that conflict. We worked it out. And now I love you more than ever before. And I trust you more than ever before. That's the beauty of doing good conflict resolution. It really deepens trust and safety. So that comes with time. It's not something that we can expect in um, new relationships, right? And the connection between laughter, sense of humor, and happy relationships. Yeah. A lot of the couples that had been married 50 years, I was really interested in them. You know, my, as I said, my thought was, how do you stay interested in someone 
that you live with for 50 years. And um, humor is a, uh, is a key component that they laugh at each other's jokes and think each other is funny. And that, that's just a chemistry thing. So the chemistry between people can make a relationship easier if you have that kind of convivial, harmonious connection. Yeah, it resonates. <laughs> My husband, he's very funny. That helps a lot, a lot, oh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Another component that really resonated with me is being best friends, too. That's another thing that really, really helps. From your perspective, what does it look like? What is, uh, because being best friends, that sounds like it's, uh, it's somebody that you have a great time with in a sense of having conversations and uh, sharing activities, but not really sexual. It's not a sexual thing. So when it comes to relationships, how how does it work being best friends and having the intimate relationships, I mean, intimate moments uh, all together? Is that something that's possible or it's just an idea? Um, that's what we want is a best friend that you're sexually attracted to. And that's not easy to find. <laughs> and we, we know the divorce rate is about 45% in the U.S., about a third in the U.K., about 38% in Canada. So a lot of marriages don't make it. And part of it, I think, is that it is difficult to find a best friend that you're sexually attracted to. But being a best friend, the couple set for um, happy marriage and for 50-50 marriage, 50-50 parenting, is they find each other interesting. So it, they they can converse. Like you hear about couples who've been married a long time, they go out to dinner and they, they're silent or they're looking at their phones or something. But these best friends find each other interesting. We share common interests and debates or whatever. So that that's, a, that's an important ingredient. I mean, best friends, you respect, admire, care about, and find them interesting. Another question I have is about when therapy is needed, what are the signs, Gail, that this is something that we need to look for? I think that every long-term marriage could use uh, some kind of counseling session, definitely before they get married, like throughout the marriage uh, to check in, because as I said, a lot of what goes on is the unconscious. And so sometimes we need a neutral third person to point out, oh, you had a controlling mother. So, Mr. Gonzalez, you are projecting on your wife your fear of she would control you. And so you are avoidant in your attachment style or something. So I, I think everybody could benefit from a neutral third person's perspective. Let's talk about this. Oh, I never thought about that. How do you feel about that? Well, let me think about it. I guess I feel blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but I think it it's too, I would rather have people go sooner than later because if they go just when they're at the point of divorce, then it's kind of hard to regroup because Masters and Johnson, the sex therapist, pointed out that pair bonding, P-A-I-R, is based on the shared memory of good times. So it's like we need glue to bond us. And good times, good sex, good adventures, good conversations, bonds. And by the time they're thinking about divorce, they've eroded a lot of that glue and it's hard to get it back. 
So I encourage people to get a neutral third person involved soon. I have no experience with that because I never had, I was married twice. This is my third time, but I never, never done that uh, therapy. I went straight to divorce, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I'm wondering when to know, like, what is a, what is a good sign that the relationships, it needs help from a third person, as you said, a neutral person? Um, if you don't want to spend time with them, if you're avoiding each other, uh, if you don't want to make love, if you are burying yourself in your work and your kids and your your friends, that kind of thing. So if, if you're not feeling happy and fulfilled, then get help. Seems like very obvious. <laughs> so thank you for clarifying, but it's very obvious in a way. We all should know. Another question I have that I was curious about is it's less education in poverty. How does it affect relationships, marriages, and also... Wealth, would that help? Does wealth improve marriages overall? Well, the, the key is stress. So if we go along with this idea that pair bonding is based on the shared memory of good times, then being poor, oh my gosh, how do we pay for this bill? How do we buy this kid their sneakers that they need for their team or whatever that being poor is stressful. And so one study showed that 24% of people in lower income families were in their intact first marriage, as opposed to 64% of couples in higher income brackets. It's just because it's easier. If you have money, you can hire a housekeeper, you can hire a babysitter, you can go on a fun trip. So you can you can do use your money to make life more pleasant. And then that carries over to the marriage. But the fact that Melinda and Bill Gates divorced recently indicates that money alone doesn't buy happiness. They couldn't get to their, they couldn't resolve their power struggles, his coming on to other women, his time at work. So money is alone is not enough, but it helps. <laughs> it goes back to the deeper connections, the friendship, as you said, it's, that's so important. You talk a lot about, in your book, about egalitarian couples or partnerships, and you mentioned earlier. That might be another secret, right, Gail? A big one. Right, because what happens is that if I am living with you and I do most of the work, and you have more leisure time than I do, I'm going to resent you. And, and, I, and there, there's, there's a reason for that. And so what studies show is that men who do more housework have sex more often with their wives. And a Canadian study showed that feminist men had more sex with their wives than non-feminist men. <laughs> Makes sense. So it, I, I don't think it's anything mysterious. It's just that I'm going to like you more if you don't make me work harder than you, I'm going to resent you if I'm, if I'm tired all the time. Talk to me for a moment about happy relationships and the immune system, how one goes with another. They help each other. What studies show is that when we're stressed, depressed, anxious, it robs energy from the immune system. So my body is just trying to cope and I don't have the energy that goes to build and repair, they call it. So if I'm stressed, irritated, resentful, 
not getting my needs met in my marriage, then I'm more likely to have colds, get sick, wounds take longer to heal. It, it's it, any any kind of stressor robs the immune system. Yeah, yeah, another common sense. And you also mentioned that unhealthy relationships they affect women more than men. That was a surprise to me. That's not true because what studies have generally shown is that men are more disturbed, upset by being single than women. And women do better when they're divorced than men who are divorced. Mm, right. So uh, I don't think you can make that statement. Yeah, in your book you said women's health is more harmed by an unhappy marriage than men in similar marriages. I think that's what caught my attention. So our health is affected in a in a bad way, in a sense, when we are in unhappy relationships. That's what and it may be it's because we identify women's identity in terms of their attractiveness, appealing to other people, their relationships. So a woman in an unhappy marriage um, is more judged and judges herself, whereas a man in an unhappy marriage can focus his identity on his work his golf game or whatever. So I think it's it, it goes back to how we identify the values and importance of men and women. I saw a Pew Institute study that was recent, just a couple years old, about how we appreciate and value what's important about the other genders. And for women, appearance was way it was at the top. Whereas for men, I think it was being honest and successful, something like that. But but we still think of what's really important about a woman is her appearance and her attractiveness. This is women thinking of themselves that way as a, as a belief system we have, right, Carol? Yeah, and well, and uh, men think that it's not just women, but everybody. Right. Uh, that doesn't help. And, you know, we raise kids. We say, oh, she's such a pretty little girl. Oh, such a big, strong boy. Look how high he can build his tinker toys. Look how good she takes care of her her dolly. So we, we definitely raise kids to be affiliational or success objects or sex objects kind of a thing. I love in your book you say, I love that, you say, nurture your relationship like a garden have the courage to explore and share your unconscious beliefs, get help, and have realistic expectations that love ebbs and flows over time. Beautifully said and written. So true. Yeah, that's something that I think is important for people to realize because we were raised on Hollywood movies. Even my Indian couple, you know, in New Delhi mentioned that they were raised on Hollywood movies, their views of romance. And so, and you know, traditionally the stories end with, and they lived happily ever after. So we don't get much education about um, living together with someone on a, on a daily basis. Um, so that creates unrealistic expectations of how love should be sparkles and, you know, excitement, enthusiasm all the time. But we know that it, that it ebbs and flows and it d dips after the birth of a baby 
rises after the kids leave home. So there's there's stages and again ebbs and flows like a wave. It's interesting how we try to separate right uh, our relationships, or how we navigate this reality from life itself. That's what life is, right? Everything is connected, and in a way, it's a mirror. Um, we are just kind of imitating life, not just imitating because we are life. So that's what's um, it's happening. What, what, may I ask, did you learn from your two marriages, previous ones that you've applied to this third? Sometimes it takes three marriages to, to get it. Mm, yes. Uh, the question is what I learned. Let's see. Uh, one was the unconscious beliefs, for sure. To after my second marriage, I had divorce. I had to kind of take a time off in a way because I got married pretty fast from my first relationship, marriage to the second. It was really no gap really for self-work, self-healing work. And then I took almost two to three years um, being alone and doing the healing work. I traveled and I learned a lot about myself. That helped a lot. It was really by learning about myself, about how life flows within me that I could really relate and connect to my current husband. I still see the patterns of similarities between my two ex-husbands and, and my husband now. They're similar in a way. But the way I respond to him, it's different. So it's something that happened. It happens within me. It was not about them, really, or about anyone outside of me. But recognizing how I process information, how I see life, and, and shifting. There's a lot of perspective shifting that happened. And seeing the big picture, it really, it really helps. Are they like your father in some ways? Yes. And my mother too, actually. Both of them. Mm. I just noticed that. Wait a minute. They're similar. Yeah, to both of them. Mm. Mm. It's almost like a combination. I think my first husband was more similar to my mother. The second one, very similar to my father. And then this one is similar to both, <laughs> which is even could have been worse, right? But it's actually better, much better. And I'm not sure. I'm just kind of trying to explain this way that it happened. It is working because I have done the work within. Right. But he's very similar to my mother and my father. It reminds me of, but at the same time, it doesn't. So that's kind of an interesting uh, perception way that I'm seeing this, that he's very much similar, but at the same time, it's not. It's like a new experience. So I'm coming from two different perspectives, seems like that they're merging. And I don't know how this is happening, but it's uh, it's almost like I said to you, I have been saying, I guess, that this is life happening. Everything is included. There's no uh, exclusion of anything. I'm not trying to get rid of these um, beliefs that I have been programmed to operate from, but it's just this, it's, there's a clarity of seeing life dancing, the dance of what is the way it is. So I'm not really rejecting anything. Before I used to do that, <laughs> there was a lot of resistance to everything that showed up in my life. Tendency to see the negative first. Yeah, you were, that made you more critical if you were resisting. And now you can be more accepting. I, I see, I get it. Then that's a good le lesson for listeners is that um, the key is to learn about your tendencies and patterns so then you can keep them from restricting you. Mm, yes, yeah. And going 
going further, if, if we can, like I said, it seems like the impossible in a way, kind of seeing from as far as you can, going as deeper as you can when it comes to life itself, seeing the big picture, that everything is possible in a sense of conditionings playing itself. I mean, this is an amazing dance uh, of conditioned body, minds, and mystery, and the unknown. I mean, this is just incredible. So if we are able to take it all <laughs> and just flow with it, um, it just, it transforms everything. But I don't know how it happened, really, Gail. It's just, uh, I have no idea how it happened. That's why my first question, when you said curiosity, that was really caught my attention, maybe because I have been very curious about how to navigate this reality <laughs> in a way that's joyful, that is lighter that I can flow better with everything. And then maybe that quest came to fulfillment. Maybe, not sure. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah, and that takes being quiet and meditative so that we can hear the guidance from higher intelligence. So it sounds like you, you those two or three years after your second divorce, you, you did take that time to be open to higher um, guidance, intuition, inspiration, and and change. So that that was that's that's insightful. Yes, absolutely. Be more introspective. Yeah, which I have been always that way, but yeah, I gave myself that opportunity to really, really go deeper within. Yes, in that. Yeah, it's interesting. Even talking about it comes this uh, energetic resonance of joy, <laughs> because it's amazing how life just flows in such a way. And I remember being curious, but I don't remember really uh, specifically looking for this, coming to a place of flowing with life. I don't think I use those words. Mm. But I, I think for me, it's also important to do the work. I mean, I can meditate, get the guidance, but if I go, oh, I don't want to and I'm not, I don't, I'm not disciplined enough to do that. So it, it does take work and focus and discipline just in terms of looking at life as is the glass half full or half empty. So it, it takes discipline for some people to look at it as half full and that can make a huge difference. So I, I would like to merge your emphasis on flow and my emphasis on doing the work. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and it is, yeah, it is. A, it really feels like a practice, all this. The body itself needs, I mean, so many practices we need when it comes to the physical body, to eat, to brush our teeth, sleep, so all these. They, but it, at some point, they flow too. We just do that. There's no stress involved. And we are just kind of taking care of the body in a very graceful way. So, and I believe that we can do that with the mind as well, with everything else. And it becomes this flow with this dance. I call it the dance, <laughs> this, this beautiful dance. <laughs> so thank you so much, Gail, for this opportunity to have this uh, expanded conversation. Oh, thank you. It's a delight. And before we say goodbye, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I would like people to go to www.gailkimball.info and they can um, see my different books and see what's what's going on, um, the resources that I have available. I can read a little key to a happy marriage. Don't take the marriage for granted or put it on the back burner. Structure in regular time for fun for talking about your feelings, for cuddling and sex. Set aside time for at least one date a week 
to maintain romance and also take time to nurture yourself. Think of a village relying on a well for water. It needs to be filled and maintained. Consciously create tingle and adventures, like leaving your house, going on weekend trips, exploring new places and adventures. Remind yourself that pair bonding is based on the shared memory of good times. Mm, yeah, beautiful, written and beautifully said. So true. That really resonated, the good times memories. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Gail, for your presence, your wisdom, the work you do, the healing work you do, and everything else in between that could be felt. Thank you. Thanks. Right back to you. Bye for now. Take good care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Gail Kimball and her work, please visit gailkimball.info. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.